Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. Join Charlie and Elizabeth as they talk about middle grade books. All sorts of books are covered, from their childhood faves, to current reads, to upcoming books they're interested in. Stay tuned! Hello and welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories. My name is Charlie. I'm usually one of the people behind the keyboard that is doing the editing, but today we are going to be talking about middle grade books with Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. So we both enjoy uh, books for younger audiences usually, I would say. Yes. There so much less stress they can be that okay that's true they do the whisking you away into a different place but they can also deal with difficult topics first off we need to have some context what makes a middle grade book a middle grade book for you well first the age that the author intended it to be read at is this is the book that is for kids that are 8 to 12 years maybe 7 to 13 if you want to edge it out a little bit on either side but it's about the kid themselves and they can go off and have a big adventure but they're not going to be focusing on world peace say it's more local and focused right it's more in the context of their world their immediate thank you and it kind of goes along with that's, I mean, that's just what they mainly focus on. It, it's also how they do with uh, social studies in education. You focus on yourself, then your family, then your neighborhood, then it kind of blossoms out into the worldview. Ah. And so uh, you're still focused on that smaller community of just your immediate surroundings. Although starting maybe to look at it a little bit more. Yeah, right, right. So... And I think that makes for a really interesting story. Right. It's a good bridge between your early chapter books and your, like, YA novels. So, like, your early chapter books are going to be just a couple, I was going to say a couple pages long, kind of like a James Patterson book. But, (laughs) yeah, they're very short and they're very to the point. They have a lot of uh, descriptive language, but not very, their vocabulary and the sentence structure is becoming more complex. And it starts to deal with a little bit tougher topics sometimes. Right. There's rarely a a tragic end. Right. It, everything's usually resolved at the end. Maybe not with a perfectly tied bow, but close enough. Yeah. So what? And there and and there is also very little romance because if you think of that developmental age Mm -hmm. it's still at the age where you're making friends and and worried more about that sort of thing than finding your one true love yeah friendship and kind of fitting in Mm -hmm. in a way but also seeing sometimes things are weird and you need to try to fix it right so what got you into middle grades do you remember any specific titles that so i was always a big reader when i was a kid I loved books where something magical happened, so A Wrinkle in Time was a big one for me. But I also liked realistic ones, like historical fiction. So I grew up on The Little House on the Prairie books, and 
like Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. That that sort of thing. And I, I loved looking back and reading what kids from the old days and finding out how they were the same as me and yet different. So, yeah. how about you? So, I was born in, the, in 86. So, you know, late 80s, early 90s is when I grew up. And if you were in that time frame, I feel like you have to say goosebumps. They, I, I am 11 years older than Charlie, and so I missed the Goosebumps craze, oh, I think. They were so good. So R.L. Stein wrote them, and he only wrote them for five years. But there were over 60 of them that he released in the original Goosebumps series. He wrote all 60 of those in five years? He wrote all of the original wow. ones by himself. I saw one interview that asked him how long did it take him to write it. He said, I believe it was eight days. He spent two days completely outlining it and then six days actually writing the chapters. So by the, when he started to write, he had a specific thing in mind and knew how all the character development was going to happen and how the story was actually going to end. He has a great memory. He, he was a big reader as a child, so he pulls from all that kind of stuff. Like uh, He remembered his mom reading the original adventures of pinocchio oh yes and how much darker it is it's really dark well a lot of the old fairy tales are they are there's like a part where pinocchio gets mad at uh, jiminy cricket and takes a mallet and smacks him against the wall i believe and there's another part where he falls asleep and his feet get near fire and kind of singe or burn i believe you know like that happens that's what happens and so especially if you're not a real boy yeah that's but that inspired him to write uh Slappy, the ventriloquist dummy that comes to life in a three-part series. And no. Yes. No. So good. And no. then uh, that, that was the Night of the Living Dummy. So, oh, no. Um, he also... When, I see why you're so punny. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, he also had an experience where his child was getting ready for Halloween, and they took off, tried to take off their mask, and it got stuck for a moment. And then that just sparked this idea of, wait, what if the mask becomes part of you and controls you? And so that's the origin of the haunted mask. That's so, so creepy. He takes all these little tidbits of like things that he's experienced or just thought of. Like one time he said he was at the airport, he saw two kids getting on the plane and uh, they were going to go visit someone. Like he was just kind of listening. And the parent gave them an envelope and said, open this when you get there. And his mind automatically went to, what if they open and it says, we're not your real parents? And so he's put that in a couple of his stories where it's like aliens and stuff. So there's, a, but there's no moral to him. He said there's no moral, no educational like components. It's not for that. It's just to engage the reader and motivate them to want to read. And sometimes, okay, I want to share some stuff. I think the statute of limitations is up on this type of activity. It can lead to some nefarious activities. So I was on a road trip with my dad, and we had stopped at a outlet mall, and there was a bookstore. He went to sleep. He was a, uh, drove an 18-wheeler. So he was asleep. I was wide awake, so he let me run in there, and I was like, they had a two-for-three sale, and I got three Goosebump books. So excited. Well, he was sleeping through the day, and so I was very careful to open them up so you don't read. You know how you just kind of peek in and don't yes. try to break the spine? Yes, I do know. Yeah, I was doing that, and he slept so long that I read all three books. And he woke up, and we were about to leave. I was like, hold on, I need to run into the store. I forgot something. He's like, okay. So I ran in with my receipt, and I told the people that 
I had bought these for a friend and that my friend had already read them. Can I exchange them? And so <laughs> I traded them in and got three new books. Liar. Yeah, liar. I was like eight or nine and I still feel bad about that. <laughs> I think a lot of true readers have, have done a lot of reading in bookstores mm-hmm. without buying their final product. So I, I think you're okay. Yeah, just if, if you were in a outlet mall bookstore in like Virginia, West Virginia in the mid-90s, I'm sorry if I stole those books. You gave them back. I gave them back and just took some more. So I paid. But I I like how the books that you read then shaped you now. Mm -hmm. You you found books that you enjoyed, and that's really what it is with librarians and libraries and teachers who try to find that book for that kid that's going to interest them. Right. So, and, and you found your niche. Yeah. Or one of your niches, because, you know... You have lots of different things that you like. Yeah. so we all contain multitudes. That's right. And like the Little House on the Prairie books, I went on and later found the Birch House books. Mm-hmm. Those, that series by Louise Erdrich, because they're her response to the Little House books, which when I was eight, I didn't realize how racist they were because... I was a protected little white girl in a small town in Mississippi, and, you know, the indigenous people were not spoken of well in those books. But the Birch House book series is a whole series about a little girl who's growing up on Lake Superior with her grandma and her family and learning how to do all these thing she has a pet crow so much cooler than laura oh yeah and see i think that's a good way to reflect back on it like the sign of the beaver was one of my favorites and for me it sparked an interest in the survivalist type uh, mindset but also um, indigenous tribes and so in the sign of the beaver uh, Matt is left with his dad. They are trying to uh, set up their cabin and everything. And this is at the beginning of spring. And his dad has to go back east to get the family, the mom, their sibling, and they. I think the mom is about to have a baby. And so he's supposed to be back before fall. And how old is he? He's like 12. Like he's on that young end. But this was also set in the like pilgrimage era where kids were a lot older than we okay. give them credit for and so first thing and he has his rifle you know he's trained with it he knows how to use it he ends up letting this guy like talk his way into the house and the guy steals his gun and runs oh no yeah so he ends up getting saved by the local because of something that happens and so he ends up saying uh making matt promise to teach his grandson i believe it is english because that's he knows that's coming. He wants them to be able to communicate. And so Matt's like, he's always been told you don't trust the indigenous people because they're certain ways. And then he also learns that the indigenous people also view some of them the same way. Not all of them, but it, that kind of thought process seems to go both ways, that distrust. Which is eye-opening when yeah. you're a kid that, what, I'm fine. Yeah, and so... They develop this friendship through the actions like of almost like proving themselves to each other. And they connect and they make this bond that ends up 
really impacted them to the point where they're like, oh, winter's coming. We got to, you know, move on. And they invite Matt to go with me. He's like, no, I've got to wait for my family. They were supposed to already be back. They're weeks late, but I've got to stay here for my family. And when they return, they find him. I'm not going to give away the ending, but there are no really horrible endings in okay. middle grades. Okay, okay. I was worried there for a minute. Yeah, but, but that survivalist, like, also went into Hatchet by Gary Paulson. It's about a guy named Brian who is 13. His family, his parents are divorced. He's going to visit his dad in Canada. It's like a small little plane, and uh, the pilot ends up having like a heart attack and crashing the plane into a lake. And so he's the only survivor, and he's middle like by a lake in Canada trying to survive. He has to learn how to do all these things like on his own trial and error and it's all about are you able to do this by yourself and so now like I'm into like you know survivor man dual survival those types (laughs) of shows which are really interesting but they are they are but yeah it's interesting how those types of things kind of shape shape us into who we are and also still what our interests are like I still like a good survival book I'm not as into survival books, but I I kept my love for historical fiction and historical fiction in middle grade books. So like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, that was a favorite of mine when I was growing up. The Mildred Taylor book about the little girl and her family who are growing up in rural Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ones that I found recently is a Mississippi author, Linda Williams-Jackson, and she's written several middle-grade books now. Um, Her most recent one is The Lucky Ones, and it's set up in the Delta and is about a little boy, Ellis Earl. His family is very poor. He has eight siblings and a niece, and they all live together in one house, His father has passed away, and his mom works as a maid, and they are very poor. He loves to read, and he loves going to school, and he loves his family. And so his teacher gives him the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book, and he falls in love with it. He's like, oh, hey, there are other people who are like me who are poor. And he really sees himself and identifies with Charlie. And he goes, the book goes on and it talks about his family and his older siblings have a band and they're going to try to make money to help support the family. And he is chosen to go, Ellis Earl is chosen to go on a trip to the capital, to Jackson, Mm -hmm. the big city, to see Robert Kennedy when he comes to Mississippi because it's set in 67 for the Southern Poverty Tour. He ends up meeting the senator eventually and there is a good ending and it's not what you think it would be but his his development and his relationships with his family even though he gets mad at them and he's like oh my god my sisters they suck. You know it's just it's a big warm-hearted mm-hmm. hug of a book. That's awesome. Um, I've read her other two books. I haven't read that one yet. It's, what, Midnight Without a Moon and A Sky Full of Stars, I I think. I think that's right. And those are about Rose? Rose, she grew up in a very poor area. They were, like, 
sharecroppers, I think, yes. and like the house, no plumbing, no electricity or anything, and there's a lot of turmoil within the family because they're getting raised by, it's like her and her sister or cousin are getting raised by the grandparents. And The mom's up north, right? Yeah, the mom left to go up north for more opportunities. And that book has a similar theme in that the kids really like school, they enjoy it, they're good at it, and they work hard, but they both protagonists think that they might have to leave school in order to help out with the family and the finances to to go to work, which is, you know, in this day and age, something that we don't think about a lot, but that happened all the time back then. Mm -hmm. So... I think she's a really good author. I I really like her. And you saw her at MLA, right? Oh, yeah. She was a, I really enjoyed her talk. I think it was in 2018. If I remember correctly, she talked about how that type of house with, like, no plumbing, no all that kind of stuff, was, like, true to life what she experienced because it was, I don't remember the decade. I don't want to age her more than she would like but um it was just a really inspirational speech and um, talking about how you can draw on the events that happen into your life and put it into a book to make it relatable i mean my mom's family didn't have indoor plumbing until they moved to their new house in like 1950 something the early early 50s but it wasn't as prevalent i guess in mississippi there's a book that I read recently that I really enjoyed called Lily's Promise. It came out last year by Catherine Erskine. I know that author. I've she heard wrote that Mockingbird name. and some other books. I think Mockingbird won her some awards. I haven't read it. Oh, it's which one? Either? Either one. Oh, I haven't read Mockingbird, but Lily's Promise is really good. It's about Lily. She's 11 years old and she is going into sixth grade. She's extremely smart, but painfully shy. And she's been homeschooled up to this point. And her dad, her mom is a, like a immigration lawyer. So she helps people through the immigration process. And her dad was a political journalist for like local politics. Well, he ended up getting cancer and passing away. And he had her promise him to do a strive for five challenge and that means speak up five times because he said once you do it five times it will get easier for you because he was also terribly shy and he knew that she needed the push and so the first day she goes to school she ends up meeting making friends with this uh geeky boy named hobart i say geeky I because like his him. name is Hobart. Well, he goes by Hobart, and I say Gee because I like I love him. He's my favorite, one of my favorite characters. He's wearing a bow tie the first day of sixth grade. Bless. He he's all into curling and like he's best friends with the the cafeteria monitor, all this type of stuff, which I kind of relate with. But um, it's about them, their friendship, and then they end up becoming friends with a uh, girl named Dunya that no one's really talked to. She is a refugee that has moved in, and it's just about their connection. And, of course, you have a bully that they have to deal with. Mm. And there's also there's a table of people that are like, well, we really like what y'all are doing. This is like a really cool eclectic group so like we would like to learn about stuff and it's about the drive like where you know there are people that 
really want to actually learn about others and learn about their experiences and like their cultures and things. The interesting thing, the way the author wrote the book, at the end of every chapter, there's like a little, I call it a subchapter, written by Libro. And Libro is the book. And the book is telling you, it's very snarky. Some people that I read the reviews, they hated Libro chapters. I loved it. Very snarky, very middle grade attitude. Talking about the structure of the book, how the writer's pretty weird, or even about some of the characters, like, I can't stand this guy. Can you believe what he just did? And then the next chapter, well, he might have some redeeming qualities. I'm torn here. I don't know what to think. So, I mean, that sounds pretty cute, though. It was an experience. Like, I really enjoyed it. So, um, okay, I'll add that to my list, to my huge pile. <laughs> what other book whatever other books have I been reading? So, I sort of have a theme this time. I tried to pick a lot of Mississippi authors that I've read recently. Mm-hmm. So, another one that I just read is J.D. and the Great Barber Battle by Jay Dillard and illustrated by Akeem Roberts. And it's an early middle grade book, so it's still middle grade, but I wouldn't recommend this maybe to a 12-year-old. It's more along the eight-year-old side. Yeah. But it's great for kids who are ready to graduate into a little bit more of a book because it's got a little bit of meat on it, but there are illustrations throughout not on every page but every couple of chapters you get a picture and they're pretty good but jd and the great barber battle it's set in meridian where jay dillard is originally from the main character's name is jd so in his family kids don't get their hair cut until uh the first day of school and so the day before and so his mom does it and she does an awful job and he has to go to school with a bad haircut and the kids tease him unmercifully the whole first week and he has an awful week and there's only one haircut in place in town and you have to go and wait all day Um, it's just kind of a first come first serve and he doesn't have the money for it and so he decides that he is going to start giving himself his own haircuts because it's something he's interested in. He's good at drawing and art. And, you know, he's practiced, like, with drawing the stuff. And so it's just a matter of putting it into action on his head. Yeah. And so he tries with his little brother first, like you do, just in case, test product. And he does a great job. And so he does his hair and his mom, he lives with his mom and his grandparents. And they were like, hmm, well, okay. Well, since you, you know, didn't mess it up too badly, I guess you can keep doing it. So then he starts getting business from all the other kids. And there's a tiny bit of math in it because there are some sections where he's like, okay, how much money can I make? Yeah. If I do this many haircuts and I charge this much, I'll make this much money. That's the entrepreneurial part. So, right, yeah. right. Because you got to know, <laughs> is it even worth it? So, um, so he starts giving haircuts out of his own house, and his grandparents are like, you need to stop using all the toilet paper because he's using it to... <laughs> To help with the, you know, so the little hairs won't go down the back of the necks. I mean, you got to have a process. 
and then the the barber the real barber in town comes and he's like look you've got to stop i'm going to put the health inspector on you which he does and then jd challenges him to a barber battle because he thinks that you know he does all these really cool haircuts and he names them off in the book and here i am over on the side you know looking up these people he says oh i gave him a patrick mahomes haircut and i'm like okay i know that name it's a sports guy yeah he plays Um, sports ball he he plays the sports ball you know we go play trivia and that's not my category yeah so um (laughs) i looked up all these people and their haircuts they're really cute and he starts doing these really intricate ones where he's doing like the the logo for the chicago bulls on the sides of their head yeah So he gets really good, and so there's a big barber battle, and I won't tell you who wins, but you remember middle grade. It has to be. Shiny, shiny red bow. Yeah. It's it's really cute. And then he opens it up at the end. There's room for the next book because this is a series. It's the first of three or three so far. They're really cute. They're set in Meridian. Okay, I'm going to make a prediction. Hmm. It went either one or two ways. One, he won, and the series continues about his barbering. Or two, he loses, and the next book he goes into another category, like maybe baking donuts or something. <laughs> I don't know. It could be either way. Should I? Do you want me to spoil it? No, 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 no. No, no. that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You need to. I, I will say that he has a sister who lives with them, and she also decides that she has an interest in barbering. Oh, that's awesome. And hairstyling. Of course. Is so, it a younger sister? Um, I think the sister is older. The oh. little brother is younger and the sister is older. Gotcha. So, Okay. What is your next book that you've read recently that you enjoyed? All right. I'm going to try my best to pronounce these names. So, and I, But I did look them up, and I, I think I remember them correctly. Sometimes you got this. My mouth doesn't do what my mind tells it to. Solomare, The Sword of the Monarchs by Pam Munoz Ryan. I have heard of this one. It is really good. It's, uh, it came out in 2022. Uh, she also wrote Esperanza Rising. Which I love. Um, I haven't read that one, but now it is on my list because of how much I like this one. This one's a very short book. It's only about 200 pages. And it's about um, Solomare, who is in, they live in Mexico, and she is a princess-to-be. It's coming up on her quinceanera. She has an older brother who's going to be the king. His name is uh, Campion. It's about to be her coronation, her birthday and everything. Well, she's going out with her grandmother, and they are going to, uh, her grandmother does like medicinal healing with like herbs and stuff. So they go out and they are, their, their kingdom is all about the monarchs because they are part of the, they have the aureal forest in their kingdom. And that is where the monarchs come and nest for a little while. And so they are going out that day to go and collect herbs and stuff, different things. And she's like, okay, her grandmother's over here. She doesn't see me. I'm not supposed to cross over this river into the forest where the monarchs are going to come. But I got to see it. I just love them so much. They're, they're who I want. Like, that's why we're here is to protect them. All this other stuff is just negligible. 
So she hops over the river, she goes in, and they start coming down. It's like a transcendent experience. There's a, She has her rebozo, which is like a, a shawl, and there's like this shimmer of light that comes through, and she starts hearing these like like a, almost like a very soft song coming, and then it gets louder. It's like a chanting. She doesn't know what's going on. It kind of freaks her out, and then she ends up going back, and... Her grandmother doesn't know where she was and doesn't tell her. But now she figures out she's been imbued with this gift. When she has the shawl and someone asks you a question, you cannot lie. Ooh, zone of truth. But you also cannot not answer. The words just spill out of your mouth. Even better than zone of truth. Yes. And so... um, through the story, you basically find that this other kingdom is wanting to uh, take over part of their kingdom for the Oriole Forest. And she's like, no, we can't do that. And her dad's like, no, we're not going to do that. She also doesn't like the idea of being the princess. Everyone's like, you're not acting like a princess. You like your hair cut short and you want to wear your hiking boots and play outside and do this. You're not a princess. you got to act like a princess. She's like, no, I'm going to do what I want. Leave me alone. But we should have a voice. Like, everyone needs a voice. Because this is, like, set in older times. And so she ends up going on this adventure to help save the kingdom and comes across this boy named Berto who lives at a lake and comes up with all of these fascinating creations. He's like an artificer in D&D. He uses all the scraps he can find to create this net that can capture stuff before it goes over this devastating fall he ends up making a treehouse in the woods that where you can't see it and it keeps going higher and higher and he's there trying to figure out how to get water to his to his kingdom well actually it's not a kingdom it's no kingdom that it's somewhere that no kingdom has claimed and they have no help and they're like drying up and they're not going to survive and so they end up like their bond because they're both trying to save something that is so important to them is just really inspiring. I'm definitely going to read that one soon. It is so and one other thing, she has a a resplendent quetzal bird. Oh, which is like one of the most beautiful birds I've ever seen named Lazario that she can talk to. It doesn't talk back to her, but it responds. It'll do like like almost like a dog, more than a dog can do. It knows that she's talking to her. And, yeah, and, and it, it responds. Yeah, it's like yeah. go go to the the place that we were yesterday. I need to, and wait there for me, and it just goes. It is such a cute story. I love it, and it's a very quick read, very very short, but it's packed with so much stuff, and it, and it's all about just trying to save the monarchs. Which there is an issue with a declining monarch butterfly. Right. And um, at the very end, it gives you some tips on how to help with that type of issue. Oh, I love it already. And I read somewhere that uh, the author, Pam Munoz Ryan, her grandmother lived in Mexico before she came to America. And she did have like a almost like a princess type title before she came. So, um, and she didn't really intend that to impact her work but it, it might have been like a subconscious thing so i love when authors work bits of themselves into their stories yeah so. it's really good and i, I, I want a lazaro like i want a resplendent quetzal bird they're so beautiful well 
My next book does not have a beautiful Quetzal bird. It. <laughs> she has a dog, though. She has a dog named Cricket. Mm-hmm. So this book is about, it's called Gussie, and it's by Jimmy Cajolas, who is from Jackson and lives away now. But it is a magic-y sort of book. My other two were contemporary, so, well, one historical, one contemporary, but they're just totally flat, realistic fiction. And so Gussie is set out in a great desert, and there's something called the Great Doom that haunts the desert. And so Gussie, she lives with her guardian, Grandpa Widow, and her dog cricket and they help protect their little village town out in the middle of the desert and every day they go around and they do the rites and she plays the fiddle and grandpa widow sings and they keep the town safe with you know they have to do cardinal feathers and like bury them in the sand and you know you just have to do the rights with all your best intentions and yeah. and you have to feel feel happy and and truthful and then one day a writer comes into town and grandpa widow needs to go off to join the other protectors at some sort of like protector convention where they're going to come together and and talk about ways that they can do even better protecting or something like this he has to go away so she's left protecting the town and of course immediately after he leaves bad things start happening Mm -hmm. there's a little not a little girl she's a year or two younger than Gussie maybe, so maybe like 10 or 11 and Gussie's like 12, somewhere around there. So she appears in the middle of the night. She's been riding across the desert and they have to take her in because, you know, she's out there with the doom and she needs to be saved. Yeah. Then, you know, people start getting possessed. There are cracks in the protections there's a big bad something like Lucretia Wilcox or you know and she's the the big mean witch that all the boogeyman stories are told about and and so Gussie has to eventually with her friends stand up against the big bad witch and the great doom and and save her village yeah so it's a lot of fun but it's got this whole like old southwest cowboy kind of vibe to it oh, that sounds awesome it's a lot of fun it's like a magic western for kids it, it is that's exactly what it is that is awesome i'm definitely gonna put that on my list gussie by jimmy Gussie cajolas okay i think i bought that book oh well you're one step in the right direction I need to go back and look at what books i have <laughs> <laughs> He's written a couple of other middle grade and YA books, yeah. so I need to... This is the first one of his that I've read, um, so I want to try... I, I think he has one called Goldilion, yeah, Goldilion, and that's the one I want to read next. He was part... Well, one time at the Mississippi Book Festival, we did a speed round, like lightning rounds with yes. authors, and he was one of the authors there, and he was just very down to earth not not saying anybody else wasn't but he just seemed like very down to earth and very humble 
and like with his response he had a very like sweet personality okay linda william jackson did that too and she also struck me the same way yeah i love a lot like when you meet the author it's like this is a real person this is not like some kind of ai that created this no they're they're wonderful people yeah they're just out living their life and writing fantastic works for us to read thank you so much (laughs) so i have two books that i have read that i want to talk about real quick one i did when i was teaching and i uh, did this with fourth grade class and they loved it bud not buddy by christopher paul evans came out in 1999 it's a 2000 newberry medal winner and a 2000 coretta scott king author award winner it's the story of Bud Caldwell. Um, he's going through foster care. This is during the Great Depression. It starts out with him in the Amos's household. Not a good place for him. The other kid there constantly harasses, teases, and bullies him there. And so one night he ends up and something happens and he runs away. And he's trying to go to Michigan where he believes his father lives. He ends up in a Hooverville Uh it's so like this book is such a good touch point for all those historical events um that the the kids just love being able to explore these types of concepts talks a lot about the music music at the time Uh um kids hopping trains like one day they go to a bread line like a soup kitchen and bud he ends up making friends with this guy named bugs of course they both oversleep and this uh, couple are like, oh, they're our children. Please, let, you know, let them, go ahead and let them in line. So they take them in so they could eat that day. Well, then uh, later the, uh, they plan on hopping the train. Bud likes to sleep late. And so he ends up not making it with bugs and gets oh, no. left there by himself. Um, so now he's trying to make it there and he doesn't know what's going to happen once he gets there. He's he doesn't know exactly where in Michigan, like with a I forget what city it is, but where once he gets there, he doesn't know how he's going to find his dad because he was like a musician. But what I really liked about it was the one I talked about in Goosebumps where he's like there's no moral to the story, there's nothing like that. And in Lily's Promise, there was, you know, the five strive for five thing. Apparently I like lists because Bud has created a list in the book called Bud Caldwell's rules and things for having a funner life and making a better liar out of yourself. And he has created, there are over 328 rules that he has written down. And when these bad events happen, he's like, oh yeah, I've got to remember Bud's blah, 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 rule number what so-and-so. And that's what he goes by. To me, it seemed like it was a coping skill for how to handle bad situations, especially if like adults let you down. So one of them was, if you got to tell a lie, make sure it's simple and easy to remember. This is true. And he does this because whenever he is getting bullied, he has to remember, like if he's trying to get the other kid in trouble because he's like as a retaliation, he can't make it too complex. It'll fall apart too quick. And one of the things that all the kids I remember um, in the book, do you know the pencil Ticonderoga? Mm-hmm. Those are like the MVP of pencils. If you Okay, if you have anybody in school and the teacher asked for pencils, get the Ticonderoga pencils. They are the best pencils. And in the book, they have one, and Bud is asleep, and the other boy that's bullying him ends up shoving the pencil up his nose. No, it's not sharpened, is it? No, no, it's like the eraser end. 
because he didn't want to get in trouble. He just wanted to harass him. Like, it wasn't trying to do damage. He goes all the way up to the R. And so I had one in the classroom, and I pulled it out, and I was like, think about that. Look at this pencil. I don't know if it was the exact type. I mean, it's the same brand. This is where the R is. And for days, I would just hear some of the kids mumbling, all the way to the R. (laughs) There's other rules that I thought were just really clever for Bud to be going by. Like, the older you get, the worse something has to be to make you cry. Like, he walks in on someone crying. He doesn't know what it is, but he assumes it's terrible because of how old the person is. Aww. Never ever say something bad about someone you don't know. That's just, you know, generally good advice. If an adult tells you not to worry and you're not worried before, you better hurry up and start because you're already running late. That's exactly true. Bud sounds like he had a lot of sense. Like, and it's just a, it's a really good story. And it really places you into that era of dealing with like hooverville soup kitchens and all that kind of stuff so but his resilience is what is really impressive the more recent book that i read is weird kid by greg von eekhout came out in 2021 um it's a science fiction novel and it's about a boy named jake wind and he is trying his best to make it to hide himself because he is a shapeshifter and the, his parents found him. There was, they were building this community. Um, the name of the area is Cedar Creek View. There's no really cedar trees. There's no creek, so they don't understand where the name came from. But uh, his parents were one of the first people to live there. There was a, a like a meteor or something that struck, and so when they went to ex- investigate, there was this little blob that ended up jumping up on him, and the dad was like, what, and nudged it with his foot, and it turned into a person. And so they've been raising him as a person. He starts to lose control of it this summer, so he loses his best friend because he can't go out with his best friend because he doesn't. no one knows it. The first day, he makes friends with this girl named Agnes, and they are both super fans of a comic book series called Night Kite, to the point where she's training to be one. She is super strength and super intelligence so she's developing it by when she was reading books on like science and stuff she puts it on the floor and does push-ups to do however many she can through the chapter and she's up to 17. oh uh, pretty good it's, it's impressive i i can't do that many what i like is as the events unfold like their bond is, they reveal things to each other they see this blob taking over a family after these sinkholes start appearing around town there's a lot of sinkholes in this one town and the, this blob pops out one night and they see it take over a family and uh they call them in blobsters which i love and so and now all of a sudden wait wait m blobsters yeah i am like imposters uh-huh. but blob uh-huh. and yeah. then you see how charlie charlie still has that same punny thing going for him great yeah i'm, I'm a huge fan of the puns <laughs> and so that won me over so this doctor comes in and they've started running something called the collaboratory where they're trying to (laughs) work with different people to figure out what's going on and agnes and jake don't trust them and so they're trying to she's trying to act like night kite doing all this stuff like using trackers and like climbing up uh windows not windows the little uh gutters to Mm, all sorts of acrobatic stuff 
they end up like if the other one's getting scared they're like but don't you remember night kite issue blah 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 and they're like oh yes the one where thor and night kite do this and that to do this and win and they're like yes and they're like okay i'll do it we have a plan now and so yeah it's just really heartwarming (laughs) i love it and that is a weird kid by greg van ekout that sounds good and he also has an uncle that is a guitar teacher and he sounds like he's straight out of the 60s he's just like dude man <laughs> you got to play with this and you know uh like an blobster if he's talking to one and they're acting weird he's like does not recognize it at all he's just like so what kind of guitar are you interested in acoustic or electric he's one of my favorite characters in the in the book the uncle yeah so well i have two books that I'm really looking forward to that are both about to come out. One of them is Hamra in the Jungle of Memories. It's by Hannah Alkoff. It comes out March 28th, and it's a Malaysian spin on Little Red Riding Hood. Mm. Hamra, her grandma, has started forgetting things, and it's set at the beginning of the pandemic, and so her parents are very involved, I think, in healthcare. And so she's saddled with a lot of the grandma sitting chores. And and so she has to go into the jungle for something. And she forgets the rule of the jungle. Always ask permission. And so through a convoluted couple of things, um, she ends up being cursed. And she's haunted by a were-tiger. And she and her best friend, Ilyas, have to go on a quest to, you know sort everything out yeah so and then my other book that i'm looking forward to is uh nick blake and the remarkables it is angie thomas's so excited about this one right it's her middle grade debut um it's the book that apparently she wanted to write years ago when she first started writing and she didn't think there would be a market for it but it's going to be the first of a trilogy, the Manifestor Prophecy Trilogy. Um, and it's also a very magic-y thing. Um, she gets a hellhound for her birthday, but then she learns a secret about her dad, and she has to um, go on a quest to find a magical artifact and save him. And it's about, you know, family and finding your superpower even if you aren't magical you know she she named it the the main character after her friend nick stone i did not she said that she had been kind of writing this book in her head for years and she had the main protagonist all thought out and when she met nick stone she was like you're nick blake (laughs) so I love their their relation their friendship. It's really really good. It's so. very satisfying. That's awesome. So the one the ones that well one I'm reading right now that I'm absolutely loving. Um, I'm excited to see how it plays out is the Secret Battle of Evan Poe by Wendy Wayne Long Shang. Mm-hmm. It came out uh, I think late last year, and Evan Poe and his mom and sister are moving from California to like Virginia. And because they're trying, and he's trying to hide the a secret because of how notorious his dad. His dad did some bad stuff, and they're running from it. Lots going on. And then when he gets there, it's also like a cultural shock. 
So, like, he's the only Asian American in this town. And it's set in, like, I believe it's Virginia, but it's a little small town that is steeped in Civil War history. And so, like, even the schools haven't getting ready for, like, something called Battlefield Day where they oh, dress no. up like soldiers and they're not going to act out a battle, but it's going to be a day in the life of, like, what those people. And they're all about, well, my so-and-so was a general. My so-and-so did this and that. And he's like, I don't have these kind of connections. Uh, so he's trying to find some, and he finds some about Asian-American soldiers in the Civil War. Ooh. Didn't know the, the teacher that teaches the class, who's like a scholar on it, didn't know anything about it. So he has to kind of prove it to her that it was real. A lot of the kids are very accepting of him. Of course, you have a bully, and the bully is everybody's bully. And, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that he's dealing with. And this is actually uh, set in, like, post-early uh, covid and so okay. some of that comes into play, too. And the other one that I'm, I plan on reading after this one that I'm really excited about is The Ogress and the Orphans by Kelly Barnhill. That is also on my list. Doesn't it look so good? It does. It looks really good. For this one, I cannot put into words because I have not read it, so I just got the little blurb for it. Stone in the Glen, once a lovely town, has fallen on hard times. Fires, floods, and other calamities have caused the people to lose their library, their school, their park, and even their neighborliness. The people put their faith in the mayor, a dazzling fellow who promises he alone can help. I don't trust anyone that says that they're the only. This is just me, not it's, the blurb. He's no good. After all, he is a famous dragon slayer. At least no one has seen a dragon in his presence. I, lo- I like the logic. Right? No one has seen me and Batman in the same room. So, so you're obviously Batman. I'm Charlie not saying. Is Batman. I'm not saying. Just saying. Only the clever children of the orphan house and the Conley ogress at the edge of town can see how dire the town's problems are. Then, one day, a child goes missing from the orphan house. At the mayor's suggestion, all eyes turn to the ogress. The orphans know that this can't be. The ogress, along with a flock of excellent crows, secretly delivers gifts to the people of Stone in the Glen. But how can the orphans tell the story of the ogress's goodness to people who refuse to listen? And how can they make their deluded neighbors see the real villain in their midst? That's going to be good. That is going to be so good. We need to do a book club for that one. A book club kit? A book club kit or just have an in-house book club about this book because it sounds phenomenal. It has a good cover. It does. It's a gorgeous cover. So thank you, Elizabeth, for chatting with me about middle grade books. I have some new books I need to put on my list to read, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon. I really enjoy it. I love talking about books. And middle grade books, they're just so satisfying. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.